I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 107 with guest Shasta Nelson. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 107. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host. The girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. It's another episode of the podcast. And as always, I am excited you're here. I am going to talk today with Shasta Nelson. And I love this topic so much. I love it so much. I want to marry it. It's just so important. Very dramatic pause. So important because... Friendships, I think, is that thing that not a lot of people talk about and can change your life, has the ability to make your life so much more fulfilling and just so much richer, better, happier. And it takes a lot of work. I'm not going to lie and pretend it doesn't. And that's why I'm so excited to bring you Shasta, who is an expert on this topic. I mean, I can tell you from firsthand experience that the friendships in my life that I have been intentional about and that I have been really courageous about, because sometimes friendships are about having those hard conversations and being brave and apologizing and all of these things that Shasta and I are about to get into. But I hope you stick around because there's some really great wisdom given here and her books are really great and she's awesome and... I'm just really excited, as you can tell. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Shasta in just a second, but I just wanted to give you a quick reminder that what I talked to you about a little bit more at length last week in episode 106, if you missed it, I have announced, I have a couple more openings for private clients. I usually don't take on that many at a time. I still really don't take on that many, but I decided to open up a few more spots this summer because later in the year, I'm going to be pretty much kind of closing up shop somewhat to really put pedal to the metal and finish my book. So before that, if you wanted to come on board, there are two ways to work with me privately. One, I do some consulting for brand new coaches. If you're interested in that, either way, go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash coaching. If you're interested in consulting, if you're a coach, or if you are interested in the bulk of the work that I do, and that is one-on-one 
coaching called The Daring Way. If you're familiar with the work of Dr. Brene Brown, I'm certified in her work along with the Coaches Training Institute. And this is the work I do privately one-on-one. It is deep. It is amazing. It is extremely transformational. And if you want to hear more about it, I interviewed one of my former clients about this work, and that's at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 82. This work is perfect for any woman who struggles with things like negative self-talk and perfectionism and numbing out and isolating when things get hard. If she struggles in her friendships to go deep in her friendships and her partnerships and really wants a tool set and someone to guide them in practicing this work. We meet weekly. We meet for several months. It is a big commitment. (laughs) We develop a deep relationship as coach and client. And this is a method based on 14 years of research because I love science. But anyway, you can get all of the information at yourkickasslife.com forward slash coaching and we can set up a 20 minute consultation after you've read through that page, you know, everything about it. I would appreciate serious inquiries only. And if you're ready, I would love to speak to you more about it. So anyway, you can head on over to that page and let me tell you a little bit more about Shasta. Shasta Nelson is the founder of GirlfriendCircles.com, a women's friendship matching site in 35 cities across the U.S. and Canada. Her spirited and soulful voice for strong female relationships can be found in her books, Friendtimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness, and... Friendships Don't Just Happen, the guide to creating a meaningful circle of girlfriends. She also writes at shastasfriendshipblog.com and in the Huffington Post, speaks across the country and is a friendship expert in the media, appearing on such shows as Katie Couric and The Today Show. So without further ado, here is Shasta. Ass kickers, so very glad to have you again for another edition of your Kick-Ass Life podcast. And Shasta Nelson and I were just talking before I started recording about how this is a topic that is not talked about enough. And I talk about friendships a fair amount of time on my blog and my podcast. You're the first actual like friendship expert. So welcome to the show, Shasta. So glad to have you. Thank you. And thanks for talking about it so much. Oh my God. So important. You were just saying about how, you know, people talk about in magazines and we see them all the time, you know, how never get tired of talking about losing weight and how important that is, but not as many people are talking about friendships. I know it drives me crazy. And I would like even publishers and stuff, you know, years ago, they would say, Oh, we did a book on women's friendship a couple years ago. And I was like, and, (laughs) you know, it was just kind of like, Oh, we've covered it. And therefore, and I was like, look at all the topics that we keep talking about. And this one, more than all the healthy behaviors, this research is showing that Obviously, we want healthy behaviors like good diet and exercise and sleep, but they're showing that you can have somebody who does all the good behaviors and feels lonely and it will be worse on their health mm-hmm. than somebody who's got deep connections and feels they have intimacy in their life and does all the wrong, doesn't follow any of the right, you know, health behaviors. And you're better off having intimacy than all those other things that we focus on so much. So it's a really important topic for our health and our happiness. Well, good. You know, I love, of course, research and science, but I love that you said the word intimacy because that is something that is so important in friendships. And we're going to dig into that. Let's back up because I know that you and I both will get really excited about it (laughs) and start just going off. So let me start from the beginning. So why do you think women 
struggle in their female friendships. And I'm going to say like, typically when you get to be like around our age, so like after college and maybe like after you've, you know, kind of settled down a little bit, why do you think it's such a struggle? Well, I think all relationships have some struggle to it because when you go into intimacy, there's going to be elements of unmet expectations and disappointments and all of that stuff. I think what makes the female friendship thing tricky is that we don't have a culture of talking about the relationship or going through the conflict really well. You know, in our romance, we expect to have the talk and to talk mm-hmm. about the relationship and to say, wow, this isn't working for me. And, you know, and we hate conflict and so we'll avoid it as much as we can, but we will do it and we will show up and say, I don't like it when you always do this. I feel like I'm not getting this. And we'll have these conversations and in our friendships, for the most part, most of us, when it's just not working, we kind of just drift apart. And so we're, I think what makes friendship difficult is that you need as much, I mean, intimacy, take that honesty and that authenticity. And we kind of have this culture right now that says, if you're not meeting my needs, you're not good enough. And just kind of wipe our hands and walk away and call them toxic. And so we're losing intimacy because anytime there's drama, we would rather pull away. Yes. It's like that whole ghosting thing. (laughs) I found out like what ghosting was, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago. And and it tends to be, you know, kind of talked about in relationships, but, and for those of you that don't know, it's basically when you kind of just stop calling someone back or stop communicating with them and just ignore them. And then they wonder what's going on, but you just kind of go away. But Mm -hmm. I I see that happen in friendships too. It's because everyone's afraid to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think we don't do that quite as much in romance. You know I mean? We will have a breakup and we'll have the talk and we'll get back together and we'll talk about it and we'll break up. And, you know, we like kind of work at it to some degree in our romantic relationships. But yeah, there's of course a lot of other issues too that affect all of our friendships. It's, you know, our lives are, we're moving frequently. We're changing jobs frequently. We're going through life stages at different ages. And so you can be a new mom at 40 and a new mom at, you know, 17. And so trying to find people who we feel like get up is complicated. And when our stuff changes so often, then it's harder to go through those transitions with some of our friends if what we had in common is no longer in common and stuff. So it's a lot of dynamics, but certainly at the heart of all of them is just us needing to learn to practice what intimacy is and why we pull away from it. Okay. So speaking of intimacy, in your books, you talk about how friendships are more than just having someone to chat with and go have coffee with, but it's about belonging. And so I think most people know that belonging is just this inherent, you know, it's on the hierarchy of needs. So can you say more about that? Yeah. I mean, it is so wired in us that we need it for survival, of course, at some point in our history. And even now, it's really interesting that when we feel like if we don't belong, it actually, the same part of our brain lights up as does if we get kicked in the stomach. So it's actually the physical pain center in our brain is what's getting triggered when we feel like we don't belong or we don't fit in or we're not good enough or we're being rejected. And I find that so fascinating that like our body actually knows that we need that. That is normal to belong. And that if we feel like we're on the outside, it's, it's the same as getting physically hurt, which I find really interesting. So it's, I did one whole chapter on the fear of rejection because it's so fascinating how much that affects us. But our bodies, we're meant to be connected. We're meant to be, to fit in and to help each other and to be in community. And there's some powerful, powerful research right now being done on the brains and how actually our brains are wired for that social interaction more so than all the other functions we do with it. And so it's just a really exciting time in our science world right now to be looking at how significant these relationships are. That's fascinating. I love that. I love 
I was like very, very close to going back to school to get my PhD in, in social psychology. Like I love, mm-hmm. it's just fascinating mm-hmm. to me to no end, like how we interact as humans and how our brains have not changed that much over so many years and how important that sense of belonging is. I can really attest to that. And I think anyone listening who has like moved to another place where you had to start over and you don't yes. know anyone, because I'm from Southern California and I lived there for 36 years until we left. And I honestly made up that it was just going to be kind of easy. Like I would just like make new girlfriends and we would be like, you know, Charlotte and Miranda and Carrie <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, like hanging out and, and, you know, and having coffee. And I was about, I don't know, maybe like six or nine months in and that hadn't happened yet. I was talking to a friend, you know, my friend from home, I was crying. I'm like, I'm really lonely. Like, I don't feel like I belong here. And I, and like, I also had to own that I wasn't really taking that much action. Like I was kind of expecting them just to like come knocking on the door and like, we yes. be the best friend yes. and we'd be perfect <laughs> for each other. And I did start to try that, but still it was like trial and error. And I thought that it was going to be this group of people and it it wasn't. And like the disappointment from that. And so, oh my gosh, the effort, like I had no idea, but I'm getting ahead of myself. There's definitely been times in my life where my paycheck ran out before I got paid again. And I wish I could have accessed my next paycheck a few days before I was due to get it. Well, what if I told you that can happen with Earnin? Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. You also say that people have misunderstandings about friendship. So can you talk about some of these? Yeah. And first thing that pops into my head is kind of what you're talking about with sex in the city and stuff. It's interesting. We live in a world that talks about friendship, but I always feel a little 
frustrated with how we're talking about it because it feels like it's always either being glorified or or degraded. Like it's always like the best or the worst Reality of everything. Shows. And so yes. it's always like, here's the fantasy and everything's like cute pom-poms and, you know, we're going to go through cancer together and we're all going to shave our heads. And it's like this, like really this feeling where you're like, wow, if I don't have this amazing close tribe of these people that will just like die and lay down their life for me. And like, we all know each, you know, then you feel like you're, what am I missing out on? And I'm a loser and I don't have good friends. And so we have this like really high, high bar that we put out in front and kind of romanticize it. And on the flip side, we talk about like all this toxic stuff and everyone's a sociopath and they're all out to get you and they're all takers mm-hmm. and you have to be careful. And, and it's like, I get kind of frustrated with these extremes that are often presented where for the most vast majority of us, it's what you're describing. Yes, it's doable. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it's incredibly painful and lonely to start over. And even those of us who are outgoing and extroverted and mm-hmm. friendly and have a good history of friendships and don't have a lot of baggage around it, we still move and it takes us two years before we feel like we've made good friends. You know, I mean, that's just part of the process. And I think one of the big misunderstandings that happens a lot is the belief that we have to go find or discover this best friend. I hit that really hard in both my books. And especially in this newest one, Friendtimacy, is it's not so much about finding the right friend or discovering this right person. It's more about developing the right friendship. Science is showing us it has more to do with what actions we repeat with each other. And so I'm always saying to women, friendship is not how much you like somebody. I could meet you and just have the biggest girl crush on you and like you and just think, oh my goodness, we have so much in common. But if you and I never talk again, we're not friends, you know? And so it's helping remind us that has nothing to do with how much we like someone. Friendship is how much we practice the positive behaviors of friendship repeatedly with someone. And that's why it felt like it happened automatically when you're younger. It wasn't that friendship happened automatically when you're younger. It's that consistency, which is one of the three requirements of friendship happened automatically when we were younger. We didn't have to invite each other to go to school. We didn't have to initiate, you know, so you had that built in for you a little bit, but it wasn't friendship that happened automatically. It was the one of the three patterns or behaviors that had to be practiced was working for us with a little bit more automation. You know, some of us might have that at work these days and stuff, but for most of us, we have to join something that's consistent or we have to kind of be willing to initiate on our own to get that consistency. So yeah, it's tough. It is. Okay. So that brings me to my next question, which I love that you said you talked about, you know, consistency and your friendships and and showing up and what I have seen, you know, cause I teach group classes and, and I talk about trust and your support system. And the question that I get that happens to women is, you know, say we're in this group environment and I've challenged one of, one of the women in my classes to have a hard conversation with her friend. And my hard conversation, I mean, she's telling her story, something hard that happened to her. Cause a lot of women isolate and anyone listening, you know, like don't want to tell anybody that I'm going through this really hard time because mm-hmm. you're ashamed, you're embarrassed, you don't want to burden, you know, all the reasons. Mm-hmm. But say, for instance, she tells her story, the person reacts not as they were hoping. They had this expectation, you know, and I talked to them about like being unattached to the outcome and and things like that, but they were let down. And so in other words, the bottom line is what does someone do if they're showing up and they're being consistent and they keep kind of coming up against a wall in this friendship where the other person, you know, if I'm going to kind of psychoanalyze them, it's getting up in their own like vulnerability stuff and they are just not ready to let down their own walls. So what advice would you have for that person? Well, if I'm understanding the question correctly, it was a mess of a question, Chastity. (laughs) 
<laughs> was not my best interview. <laughs> no, no, I think it was good though. And I think most of us are like, yeah, we've been in moments where we've certainly shared and not had it be meaningful. Part of it would be like, I teach in the French Missy triangle that our vulnerability should escalate in comparison to how consistent we are with somebody or how committed we are, how much history we have, how much we've logged in, because that's where trust is made. Right. So when you talk about trust, trust is what gets built when we are with people and put in time mm-hmm. and see that they're consistent over time. And so our vulnerability should never be, if we've only practiced sharing like on a scale of one to 10, if we've only practiced sharing a three with somebody, then we don't want to jump all the way up to an eight or nine with somebody without escalating up so that we'd share a four and make sure the other person responds well and shares. And we want to like do that in an escalating way so that we're never taking a huge risk and just diving off Dropping the deep end. Yeah. yeah. So part of that is practicing the relationship has to practice sharing vulnerably and making sure that that feels safe to both people. So part of it is kind of making sure we're sharing with the right people and doing it in an escalated way where we share a little bit, feel how that feels, practice that, hear them and, you know, kind of amp it up as need be. But I think to what you're saying, I've found that one of the areas of vulnerability that I've had to practice is actually asking my friends for how I want them to respond, Mm -hmm. like actually asking for what I need from my friends. And that's been a hard practice for me to really lean into. But I'll tell you what, it has made the biggest difference. And now it happens with ease for me. But when I found that if I was sharing and my friends started giving me advice, Mm -hmm. I would leave feeling judged or I would leave feeling like kind of defensive. But I practice now saying, oh my goodness, thank you so much. You always give such good advice. Thank you. But you know what? I'm just thinking like, as I'm listening to this, I think honestly, I was sharing this with you because I just need somebody to like, tell me I'm okay. You know, I feel like I just need somebody to like witness this and say, you're so amazing Shasta. And I asked for what I need. And my friends like just in a snap are like, Oh my goodness, of course you're okay. Yes. Yes. And they just jump right in. And I have found that for most of us, most of us haven't taken friendship classes. We're all just kind of doing what we can and we're all wanting to love each other and we just do it the way that comes to mind at that moment. And that sometimes is advice and that sometimes other things. And I think part of us practicing friendship is learning to own for ourselves what would feel good in this moment and asking for it. And friends are usually wanting to love us and would rather love us in ways that feel good to us than be trying to guess. So part of it is I'd be interested to know if the, if the women in your scenario could identify what didn't feel good and could they actually ask for and say, wow, I just feel like I've overshared and now it feels uneven. I feel like I would love to hear how you've experienced something like this, you know, and like, could we ask for what we need that would help that feel better? and um, practice kind of guiding our friends to loving us well. Oh, yes. Fist pump. I love that. And I want to just underscore what you said about asking for what you want and need. And I think that that's even like in your, you know, your intimate relationships too with your partners is I've learned now to preface the conversation (laughs) with that. And I love that you use like on a scale of one to 10, because I think that sometimes we get like, I know for myself, I think everyone listening has overshared at some point, Mm -hmm. whether it's with your hairdresser or someone that you just sat down Mm -hmm. next to on the airplane or a friend. And I love that you used kind of like the increment scale and and what that looks like. But again, like going back to just prefacing the conversations, I do that with my husband and I do it a lot with my own best friend. And I say like, okay, I'm going to tell this story. I don't need any advice. And I I love your advice and I might want your advice tomorrow, but I, I just need to say all of this out loud. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I, I'm very blessed in that my best friend does the same work that I do. And we are very well versed and are at the level of friendship, one that I've never had before. And I'm grateful for that. But I think that it doesn't matter if I, you can still ask for what you want and oh. do so in a very kind yep. way. 
to yep. where, again, like you were saying, like, so that person is grateful. Like, thank yep. you. Because I'm over here, like trying to like make up what you want. And yep. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Also listen better too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, on that scale, I teach in the French Tennessee triangle, the increments on the scale of one to 10. And it's interesting because we can certainly damage friendships if our level of commitment or consistency or safety, that word over there, how we're kind of being putting in the time with each other. If that number is low, like if we just barely know each other, we can damage a relationship by sharing vulnerability at an eight, you know, and we walk away with a vulnerability hangover and mm-hmm. feel kind of like, even if they were nice and received it all, the chance of that person wanting to like quickly repeat that experience is probably going to be slim. And so we tend to hurt friendships that way. But the flip side is just as true. And I think you may have been kind of alluding to this earlier, if the other person's not sharing. So if our level of consistency is at an eight, like we've been friends forever, we talk all the time, we see each other. And if we're not sharing that we are hurting and we still are trying to put on the strong facade and we're not revealing what's going on behind our mask and stuff like that, then we're hurting and damaging the friendship as well to have our vulnerability be at a two or three. If our relationship and our consistency is at an eight, they need to be matching each other. And so mm-hmm. I often use the example, like when I went through a divorce leading up to the divorce, I was not sharing with one of my closest friends who, for my own reasons, was not sharing how bad it was beforehand. And she felt, you know, understandably took that personally of like, why didn't you trust me? Like she viewed it as a, why didn't you trust me thing? And we hurt friendships by not being willing to be seen when we should be showing up in intimate relationships. And we've built the time and we've built the practice. And so it really is for all of us an invitation to start being mindful of building the relationships and honoring that and mirroring that with the appropriate level of faith vulnerability. Oh my gosh. Yes. A million times. Yes. I, <laughs> I love this conversation so much. I already know that I'm going to have to have you back on to talk more about this because it's so important, but it seems sort of like a theme that we've been talking about around the concept of trust in friendships. And what I also hear quite a bit is that women, you know, reach a certain age and you have been hurt in a friendship. Yep. Somebody has either betrayed you, stabbed you in the back, you know, or kind of ghosted you and just left you behind, whatever it is. And some women don't easily forgive and, or they are in a new friendship or thinking about getting friends and they are like, I'm never going to trust anyone again. Mm-hmm. So, and I've been there. So I have this friend, <laughs> not asking for me, but you know, in speaking from personal experience, I, and I'm not at all blaming my former best friends. Like I am just as much as fault for screwing up friendships and having them not work out. But, you know, I've always sort of like held my best friends in the past. Like I say like a, like a three arm distance. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in this friendship where it's totally different. And I admitted like, I don't know, maybe six months or so ago. And I was like, I think I don't even totally trust you yet. And I think I'm still working on it. And she was like, that's okay. You know, like, thanks for telling me. And so it's something that I'm working on. So what do you have to say about that, about the woman who has been hurt and vowed never to trust a friend again? Well, that breaks my heart to hear. And it is true. We all get hurt. I think one of the biggest skills in this world, I think the reason I'm here on this planet, most of us are here is to learn how to forgive. I mean, I think this is the work of humanity. And this is where most things are broken in our world and aren't working is the root of all of that angst and pain is a need to practice forgiveness. So I think first and foremost, I view opportunities now as like, okay, this is my curriculum to forgive. And my personal work is 
I want to be somebody who goes through life and learns to forgive quicker and more fully than I used to. And so I actually want that to be an area of my life that I can see progress in. And it's because I know that I'm at more peace when I have forgiven. And so I think the first answer to that is we have to decide if we actually value forgiveness and trust to the research that we are at more at peace and healthier when we are forgiven and we have forgiven people. And if we understand that it has more to do with our growth and health than theirs. And so first of all, it's choosing to be somebody who says, even if I can't yet forgive, being able to whisper, I'm willing to be ready to forgive, I think is powerful. And so it's choosing to say, I'm at least willing to be on that path to forgiveness. And then second, you're talking about a different issue, which is rebuilding trust and trusting new people. And in that case, I think that's where the frentimacy triangle is so helpful because again, it reminds us that we're not just going out and randomly picking people to say, I bestow my trust on you. <laughs> we're looking and saying, these are the three actions that make up a healthy relationship. And they are positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. And so when you, you can look okay, at wait, those... Stop for a second. I want everyone to stop what they're doing unless you're driving <laughs> and write that down. So and this is this is from your book, Frentimacy, right? Which was your, yep. your latest book. Yes. Okay. So I use the word frentimacy instead of intimacy because everyone thinks of sex when I kept it's, saying Yeah, intimacy. it's a little awkward. Frentimacy yeah. <laughs> so is alluding to the fact that all of us need far more intimacy in our lives than what any romantic or sexual act can give us. Uh-huh. And so then say those in three the, things again, the triangle yeah. says positivity, consistency... And vulnerability. And vulnerability. All right. And so you do not, I can guarantee you that any friendship in your life that is not feeling meaningful or good, it is because at least one of those three areas is in lack. Mm. And any relationship can be started based upon these three things, developed based upon these three actions, repaired or identified as this is not a healthy relationship. And I keep trying to fix this and it's not. And so it helps us articulate what is not a healthy friendship and what we should not be counting on. So we shouldn't be feeling betrayed by friends who have never actually have not practiced those things, you know, so we can be disappointed in them, but be able to say, actually, this is not a healthy friendship because we do not have enough positivity to warrant this being a healthy friendship and calling it what it is and actually having healthy expectations around the right relationship. So these three things are crucial. So when we talk about rebuilding trust, when we talk about building new friendships, we're not just going and throwing our trust on somebody willy nilly or because we like them or because they have three kids the same ages as we do or because they work at the same internship. We're choosing friendships by what actions we're developing with each other. And so this entire book is about what is intimacy How does it develop and how can we do it in a way that feels good and safe and fulfilling and joyful in our lives? And so I think it helps us to be able to feel like we're not like, I think when you're talking about rebuilding trust and building new relationships, you can look at your friend and say, okay, on positivity, we do have more positivity than negativity. And I'm simplifying these because there's a whole chapter for each Mm -hmm. one of them. But we know that research shows that we have to have five positive interactions for every negative interaction, that any relationship that falls below the five to one ratio starts draining us. And Mm -hmm. so we can sit there and say, okay, this relationship over time, she has been somebody who makes me laugh and somebody who believes in me and affirms me. And when I've needed her, she shows up. And so we can look at that and say, okay, so that's great. Consistency. She's somebody we've known for, you know, two years and we talk here regularly. And when she says she's going to be somewhere, she shows up and we've we've logged in hours and we've done the lunches, but we've also done like longer periods of time together. And we've spent a weekend together or spent a day together. And so I can trust her. She's shown up and she's 
been consistent. And then you look at vulnerability and you can like sit there and say, okay, for the level of relationship that we've practiced, she is being willing to share herself. And when I share myself, she's responding with positivity and affirmation. And when I adjustments and when I say I need this instead of that, she's responsive. And so you can start saying, okay, I can trust this person. I can trust her for what we've built. And so it really gives you a framework that you're not just picking trust out of the sky. You actually are building it on something that matters and is measurable and is the definition of intimacy. Does that help? Totally. A million times. Yes. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so everyone, all the show notes are at yourkiaslife.com forward slash 107. That's where the links to both of Shasta's books are. The one that we're speaking about, The Triangle, that's in Frentimacy, correct? Correct. So the first book is Friendships Don't Just Happen, and that's how to make friends as an adult. So that's the book you needed when you first moved. Right. <laughs> and then this book is a Frentimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness, is more about acknowledging that for most of us, our loneliness isn't coming from not knowing enough people. It's that we're not going deep enough with a few people. <sighs> I love that you said that. And that's a really great segue for what I wanted to talk about next. And much of the work that I do revolves around the research of Dr. Brene Brown, and I'm sure yours too. And when she talks about, you know, telling someone your story, someone who has earned the right to hear it, someone who, when you share your pain, that friendship can bear the weight of that pain. What she says, and I don't think she says it a lot, but of course, you know, I have picked it up is like, really, that's like one person in your life. And I think that like we make up, we need like three of them, like Carrie did Mm -hmm. on Sex in the City. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. like, to me, that feels like having more than one husband. Like I can't even Mm -hmm. imagine putting in the effort, you know, like you were saying that positivity, consistency and vulnerability with more than one 
girlfriend. And I also wanted to ask you, you know, please speak to that. I'm getting really fired up here, Shasta. But you also <laughs> talk about like five different kinds of friendships. So if you want to kind of answer both of those or, or what I was talking about, about having that one person. Yeah. So research is showing that most of us are reporting happiest when we feel like we have two or three close friends. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of putting a carrot in front of anybody in terms of a number. I think all of us, loneliness is a subjective thing and somebody can have 10 really close friends and feel lonely and somebody else can have two and not feel lonely. And so I think part of it is making sure we're asking ourselves, do I feel like my needs are being met? But I will say if we only have one person that we're really confiding in, it does create a vulnerability and it, because something could happen and not even something malicious. I mean, like I just went on book tour for two months. If one of my friends, if I was their only friend and something had happened during that time, I was not super available, you know? And so it's not even a malicious thing. Our friends have lives and they have babies and they have parents they have to go take care of. And so I tell my audiences that whenever you're resentful of your best friend not being there for you, it's usually not a sign that they're not good enough. It's usually a sign that you haven't developed enough friendships you. in your life mm -hmm. to support your life. And so most of us do need a couple closer friends there. The five different types of friendship in my first book has been paradigm shifting for women. And that has been so helpful for many of us to realize that it's not all or nothing. It's not best friend or bust, you know, it's kind mm -hmm. of like there's options in between. So yeah, there's just five circles and it acknowledges that every friendship has to start on the far left side of those five circles in a row. And some friendships move over to what we call the best friend over on the far right side. And I think some of the big paradigms in that model are helpful is that when you can start articulating and I help you in that book, figure out what friend, which circle they belong in, when you can actually do that, it helps you shift your expectations of those friendships. And it helps you understand what you should be giving to those friendships. You know, we shouldn't treat all friendships equally. We can love everybody. This has nothing to do with how much you love someone, but I should not be throwing a surprise birthday party for all 20 women right. I know, you know, <laughs> for some women. And we all kind of know that like for some friends, it's like the text message birthday for some friends. It's like the one I buy the gift for, for some friends, I'm the one calling her husband saying, okay, we need to plan a party. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that we have different levels of friendship and that we show up differently in those is really important. And I'd say the other really big thing there, Andrea, is realizing that for most women, I'm finding that when we crave a friend, we are craving that far right side circle. We're craving that best friend. And it's really important to remind all of our brains that you don't get to go around and audition people for that circle and just pluck them in that circle. What you have to do is every single friendship has to start on the far left side as a very casual friend and then understand what behaviors it is that actually moves that friendship into the best friend circle. And I think that's a really big, helpful thing for many of us because many of us are dismissing a whole bunch of people because we think we're just looking for a best friend. And the truth of the matter is we should be opening our arms wider and letting more people into our casual circles. And then from those watching as some people will develop into some deeper friendship. You're so smart at that. You should write books. <laughs> well, what's so fun about this subject is most of us have never been taught anything. You know, we've like watched movies and hope maybe our mom modeled friendship well, but most likely she didn't. She did not. And so most of us have just like, it's a fun subject to teach because we don't even know what we don't know. Like there's so much and most of us have never had a class on it or studied it. So it's a really fun subject to teach. I'll bet, you know, you touched on something really interesting. I'll bet that everybody has, you know, just kind of like when people would talk about money, they have like a money story. And yeah. when I work with people, I ask them like, what was vulnerability like growing up in your family? Because, you know, you bring that into your adult life. And I, I bet it's the same with friendships. And I think about like my mom's friendships and what she had. And it's funny because I grew up on the tennis court. And so they had like all their tennis friends and my mom had like all of her 
tennis friends that she saw all the time and, you know, they'd have parties together and watch each other's kids. And it was a really beautiful mm. friendship that she had over the years. However, you know, it's like no one ever really like sits you down and like talks about it, you know, about like how to do this. We sort of just yes. like go to school and kind of hope for the best. You know, then we're 30 and we're like, wait, this is weird. <laughs> like I actually have to like work at this, like a marriage. Yes. How amazing for you that you had a mom who had good girlfriends. I used to teach a workshop where I would ask women to brainstorm, like, to like, write down all their memories of their moms and her mom's friends. And I would say this is antidotal research. I would say like 60 to 70% of the women in the room, grown women would say, uh, hmm, Wow. Actually, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if my mom had friends. Like I don't have memories of her mm. doing girls nights or going away for a weekend or calling on the phone or maybe she talked to her sister, you know, but it's like this really interesting thing. And I at first thought, Oh my goodness, how could all these moms not have had friends? And this has turned into a big thing where I actually think that in many of those cases, the mom probably did friendship, but they probably did friendship when their kids were at school. So a lot of moms think that they're doing their kids a favor by doing friendship at a time where it doesn't take away time from them with their kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm always saying to moms, we have to be so careful to realize one of the biggest gifts we can give our kids is saying, you played at school with your friends all day today. Now mommy's going to go out and play with her friends tonight, you know, and to mm -hmm. actually have our kids see us doing friendship and not feeling guilty about it and kind of having the friendships we want our kids to have someday too. And I see this from boys too. You could get me going and we would have to have a whole nother hour on this subject because boys and men, their friendships, their needs for intimacy are just as high. And we are doing so much damage trying to treat friendship like a women's issue. And this is so important for our boys to be valuing their friendships as well. So as moms, we have a tremendous gift to change the narrative of friendship and intimacy by modeling that and talking about this with our kids. I totally agree. And yes, it is for another conversation. And when you were saying that, I was thinking about my mom and her friendships. And one thing that I think that she did really well, that I'm glad that she did, I hope that I do just as well. And I'm pretty sure I'll nail it. But my mom was, I mean, she had her moments, but for the most part, she was never catty in front of mm. me about mm. any of her friends. Mm, it was probably like a little bit of gossip. Like if I really think about it and it's funny, she was really good at like shit talking when they play doubles tennis, like the other <laughs> women and she's always really good at jokingly doing it. But yeah, like for yeah. the most part, my mom was, she was a really excellent model of how to not be like a total, bitch, I guess like yeah. I don't have another word for it, but like gossip. No, we get it. Role. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. you think about it, other than TV and movies, which we talked about earlier, kind of glorifies or demonizes women's friendships. I mean, our mothers and our fathers are really the only other place where we're really seeing and having that model. I mean, considering we're not taking other classes, we're not really getting exposed to thinking about it that much in other places. That modeling that she gave you is amazing. So powerful. Yeah. And so, all right, I want to have some time for you to tell everybody about girlfriend circles and all those things. So, but before I do that, I have one more question for you before we wrap up. And I ask this of all my guests and I love the answers. The question is what surprises you about the work that you do with women? I think what surprises me is how much it lands. It's interesting for me Friendship is not a subject that people are flocking to. So like marketing, like writing a book about it, publishers are always like, Oh, I don't know. Will women buy this? You know, we'll go buy any book on parenting. And if we are want to fall in love, we'll buy like the whole, the whole yeah. book. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And even like marketing it for like a conference, like learn the five types of friends, you know, it's kind of hard because women are like, ah, oh, most of us just kind of think we know it or don't need to know it or something. I don't know. So I'm always surprised 
at how much it lands and how much it resonates into the tears in the eyes. Like I actually believe we have an epidemic of unacknowledged loneliness in our country. I think we have so much loneliness, but we're not naming it as that because that just seems too extreme for most of us. But it's loneliness nonetheless. Like most of us, the vast majority of us, we assume everyone else has great friends except us. But the truth of my research shows that 75% of us are feeling dissatisfaction in our relationships. And we're twice as likely to say on a scale of one to 10, how meaningful are your friendships? We're twice as likely to say a one or a two as we are to say a nine or a 10. And so we are definitely weighted at the down feeling dissatisfied. And so like a surprise for me is just seeing in a really deep way, we know this matters. We really do. I guess it just really moves me. Maybe that's not the same as being surprised, but although I still am surprised every time I speak and just seeing the effect it has, but it moves me for sure. When we start waking up to our loneliness and step away from the stigma of it and say, just because I'm feeling this doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. It doesn't mean I'm not a good person. It doesn't mean nobody likes me. It just simply means I am made for more connection. I crave more connection than I'm getting and I need to respond to that. And watching women wake up to that truth is just one of the most, like, like I'll never get tired of it. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. And you know, what came up for me when you were saying that is, you know, I think that at the end of the day, when people are throwing money at, you know, how to lose weight and how to be more successful and what they really want is freedom and happiness in their life. Like if you want to like get down to like the feelings, cause it's never really like the thing that people want. It's the feeling exactly. behind it or that they make up that they're going to get. Yeah. And if I think about my own life and the strides that have made me feel more free and that have made me happier, what that comes down to a lot of it is I don't numb my feelings anymore and I process things to be able to move through them and I have more connections. And what is at the root of that? My friendships and my relationships. So I would have never gotten to you know the end or I don't want to say the end because it's always a journey, but like I would have never have gotten to that feeling of freedom and peace. Oh my God, the peace and happiness and joy, like the sheer joy and mm-hmm. without being able to feel my feelings without being, you know, having the connection. And then again, like at the beginning of that road are my relationships and my friendships. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm signing up for that Shasta. I believe yeah. you. <laughs> it's, so, it's so important. Yeah. I think we know it on some deep level usually, but yeah, we don't talk about it nearly enough to make, to normalize it, you know? So there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of stigma that if we're lonely, that means we're not good or something. And it's just, we already all have enough fears that we're not good enough. So yeah. it's really having to step out of that and just say, actually, I'm so good <laughs> that I'm actually healthy. And my body is saying, I have more love to give and receive. And that's a really good thing. So yeah. all right. I could talk to you all day long, but <laughs> our time is up. And so your kickasslife.com forward slash one zero seven. If you want all the links, but Shasta, please tell us where you want people to go to first and where they can consume more of all of your stuff. Well, ShastaNelson.com is certainly a place where it kind of has like our programs and our quizzes. Oh, you know what would be fun? If you go to Frentimacy.com and Frentimacy is F-R-I-E-N-T-I-M-A-C-Y. And I can give you the link too. There's a quiz, a Frentimacy quiz, which would be really fun because it has you answer 10 questions for each of the three requirements of friendship and gives you a score with how you're practicing those three behaviors for Frentimacy. So that might be a fun thing for everybody to do. We'll link directly to that in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes at yourkickasslife.com forward slash one seven and be sure and tweet Shasta, tell her that you heard her here. And I will absolutely have you on again to talk more about this because I totally am with you, sister. I mean, it is something that we don't talk about enough. And again, I just want to underline that 
this is so much more important than I think anyone is giving enough effort to. And I can say that from my own experience (laughs) in my life and how much things have changed in working on my friendships and being vulnerable and learning how to trust again and just really giving it the effort that it deserves because we are humans that are meant for connection. That is why we are here is to connect. So thank you for being here so much and giving us all of your wisdom. And until next time, everyone, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.